Welcome back, Questers. This is uh, Quest 193, Sunday Night Live. Uh, we'll be right back in a few minutes. This is Roy Washington. Thank you for checking in. You are locked into Quest Nation Live Sunday nights. Hello, everyone. This is Roy Washington. Thank you for uh, tuning in on a uh, Sunday night. This is Quest Nation Live. What up, Chris? Are you, I see you in the uh, chat room. How you doing, man? Thank you for uh, checking in. Uh, this is Quest Nation 193. And uh, tonight uh, we're going to be talking uh, with uh, Mr. Richard Van Steenberg uh, and Coley. And uh, they, um, two people who have a lot, a lot of knowledge, a lot of stuff that I really want to get to uh, learn as far as extraterrestrials, ETs, and just uh, what's going on in our world. Because I know, I know for a fact that a lot of things are being hidden from us. A lot of things uh, we're not being told about. So um, this is going to be a learning experience tonight. Uh, so we'll be right back. This joint I'm about to play is by Justin Lamas. He's uh he's one of the rising stars on the indie music circuit. Song is called You Run I Follow I Follow. This is by Justin Lamas from the West Coast. A quester representing Oaktown. Here we go. Quest 193, y'all. Just know I'm on my way You think you don't need me At least that's what you say I come but you keep pushing me away Ooh, look at these hands And you got me trembling, trembling
downs, that's easy. I know you got a lot of doubts, believe me. I follow That's Justin Lamashaw We're Washington Quest 193 Live Sunday night Thanks for uh, Whoever's in the chat room What up Christopher My state Space Space Out Radio Brother How you doing Tonight we have Miss Coley And uh, Richard Van Steenberg uh, You better Probably know him better As ETUFO Disclosure On Twitter That's his handle How you guys doing tonight Good. This is Coley. I'm absolutely excited to be here. All right, Rich. Good to meet you. Man, it's uh, good to meet you guys as well. Um, So I want to get just uh, touch the basics here. Where were you guys uh, born and raised? We can start with uh, with you, Rich. Uh, Born and raised in uh, California. Um, Okay. I moved back to Illinois for a couple of years, but I would say that the majority of my life has been spent in California, and the last 35 years was in San Diego. San Diego, okay. Okay, what, what about you, Cole? Coley? I am an Iowa farm girl, born and raised. And okay. I lived out in L.A. for a while, and... Um, so I consider that, I, but, you know, you always come back to it, you know, I've moved to a different, couple different places, but my heart's out there, but I'm currently freezing here, but so, I'm in Iowa. Did you go to Iowa? So, I'm kind of like right on the border of Iowa and Illinois. And you said, excuse me, Illinois and Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. You said you're currently freezing. Yeah, well, I said no, we're good. I'm going to be. Oh, yeah. California. Richard teases me from time to time. He'll say, "What's the temperature there?" <laughs> and then he'll tell me what it's like out there. So, okay. You know, in so, comparison, definitely. So, so, Rich, you, you've ever visited uh, during the winter time here in the Midwest? Well, I spent four years in Illinois, so I, mean, I definitely. No, know you know. Like, yeah. Well, winter. Yeah, I know what they're like. I had a paper. I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, pulled a sled with uh, newspapers and delivered them in the middle of the winter in Illinois. So, I don't know what it's like. Bears fan or Chargers fan? I'm sorry? Bears fan or Chargers fan? Uh, I used to be a Chargers fan, but then when they um, went to L.A. on us, I pretty much gave up on them, so... I guess I'd be a Rams fan. Okay. Uh, and and uh, Rich, what did you um? Did you uh, go to school post high school? Did you continue education and major in anything? Yeah. So I, what got me down to San Diego was I moved down here in 1981 to go to college at the University of San Diego, and I got a degree in business administration. Okay. And uh, Coley. Yeah, I started off um, in undergraduate school. I went to aviation school. Right. Um, I know, yeah, I have a, a Part 141 pilot's license, a private pilot's license, DFR. I kind of asked, I was in it when September 11th 
occurred and it kind of backed up, you know, the whole market. Yeah. Um, I was always, always fascinated with psychology. So for my um, master's degree, I have a master's in um, psychology focused on mental health therapy and I have a forensic specialization. I do have part of my PhD done, but I did, I just put it on hold for the time being. But yeah, I, I spent three solid years. I graduated half of my class okay. um, on a role society. Like, you know, so this is, I was trained by one of the best um, out there. So it, it's something, you know, that, that is very much like has helped me in understanding this, you know, because I, I kind of focused more on like the profiling and, you know, like and even in the clients that I treated, like, you know, a lot of it, like I said, reading out, you'll kind of, as the story builds, you'll understand more and more on like my take on it, so. Okay, that sounds that sounds pretty good. Um, when you when you first learning how to fly, is that kind of is that kind of scary, or was that scary for you, being up in the air like that? <laughs> yeah. And when you okay, when it, you're in there and you know you're flying and you got um, your flight instructor next to you, and it's like when you're first going up there, and then when you go to land, it's, a, it's like a whole new experience. Taking off, not bad at all. Landing a plane and they'll say to you, like all of a sudden, your aircraft, you have to say my aircraft, like take control of the aircraft, and I froze. Like the first time I went in the land, I was like, I froze. And he said, most people do, and most pilots do. But once you get past that point, then you go in and, you know, you're able to kind of take control and you do it. But that first time you go to do it, it's like that. You just, it, yeah, it, it puts the fear into you, no doubt about it. Wow, so um, you think you'll be able, so what's the biggest plane you've flown? Just just the little small private ones? is upside down, right? For a second, right? You roll up, no, you roll across. Like, you roll, like, vertically. So, like, when you do a barrel roll, or you go into it, and then, like, a spin, you would, like, stall out and then go. And it depends, too. You can pull up, but you're pulling a lot of... to become inverted. And it was cool, because a decathlon, like, has... Uh, um, I'm not sure what the material is that you can see through, so you like, it's pretty cool. You fly by stick and it's a tail dragger. 
Wow. Like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was that's, probably one of the best. Hey, that sounds like a little bit too much for me up there in the air like that. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Wow. So uh, you both are ET experiencers. Yeah. Um, uh, Rich, uh, give me your um your, your first experience. Tell us about that. Well, so, so my first experience was after I got out of college, and um, I was really interested in air combat. So I would spend a lot of time talking to the military fighter pilots, and so. Where I differ from everybody else is that prior to that, I didn't spend any time thinking about ET and UFOs. I wasn't really concerned. But well, we accidentally disconnected. Okay, let me call back here. Let's put on some music. We'll be right back. This is Ray Washington. Listening to the sounds of Midwest James. show before where they were talking about human hybrids or something like that living among us um, and I imagine they were talking about aliens um, did these people I mean do they I mean, I'm sure they look they, they look similar to us but is there something different as far as the eyes or something well so this is I hear this 
differ from people who talk about hybrid humans and how they differentiate aliens and stuff like that. What I basically did is I broke it down into two groups. I said, if you have a person, so the first thing for the people to understand is the possibility that you could have an extraterrestrial being in a human body would look just like everybody on Earth. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's just not an Earthling. And then, if you had an extraterrestrial being that's in any other condition, whether they're a, a gray or even like some three foot tall guy with almond shaped eyes and the antenna sticking out of his head, okay. you know, somebody you could immediately visually say that's not an Earthling, it's not an animal, it's clearly an extraterrestrial being. And then, even if you get into like a hybrid where if you could put the thing and there's something different about it that's not consistent with what a normal person would think is a human being on Earth. Okay. To me, I just I just group all that into the extraterrestrial category. And all I focus on is the, what I call the HETs, or humanoid extraterrestrials. And the reason why I focus on it is because the whole concept that I'm trying to explain to people is if ET can live among us on Earth, in human form, and we would think that they're an earthling, uh-huh. that would be the secret, the secret to the power, because they would be able to rise to power in the government, and the military, and Hollywood, and the tech sector, the business sector, and basically control the whole planet, because they would secretly work together as a team, and we would think that we're appointing or voting into office or whatever, people who are earthlings are all on, you know, like all on the same team, and so, the humanoid extraterrestrial concept would be the game changer that would enable them to secretly have power we couldn't comprehend because we think they're all on we're all on the same team. Okay. Hmm. Trying to wrap my head around that. Okay. Yeah, well, so, they, so that's a perfect example. This is one of the reasons why probably having Cole here is a good opportunity here from someone like she had never heard it before she heard me saying it. And I'm sure it took her even a while to wrap her. This isn't something, well, I mean, look at me. When I first came up with the concept, I spent decades wrapping my head around it because I couldn't right. find anybody who could help explain it to me. And so then, as I was even, you know, talking on the internet and she heard and stuff like that, it definitely takes a while before a person can um, begin to grasp the concept because it's not something that people speak about on Earth. And usually what happens too is people immediately go, okay, is so-and-so an HET? You know, they specifically want to know is one famous person, they want that person identified and they want 100% to know they're an HET. What I tell them is like, oh, you're wasting your time because you'll never be able to confirm it. You need to focus on understanding how they live among us as a group uh-huh. because it's in the group that they have their power. And once you understand that they live among us in a group, you can start, so for example, if they're down here on Earth and they're trying to control Earth, well, obviously they would want to be in positions of power like in the government. They would want to be in positions of power like the military. Yeah. So then what you can do is you can start um, looking at people who are running those specific portions of the planet, and you could estimate that the people who are in those positions of power would either be an ATT or they would be what I call a CEA, a complicit earthling. So I use the letters EA to the no earthling. Okay. Because if, if it's like you, me, or colleagues walking around, we're not going to know what to do if we get put in to run the government or the military. 
um, extraterrestrials have a plan. And so every day, it's not a coincidence what they're doing. They're fulfilling their, what we call the ETA, the extraterrestrial architecture. Uh-huh. And so that's basically how, as you study them from a group, you would realize that the events that are taking place on the planet are being directed by them. And once you start to see that happen, then you can start going back and trying to do like we were talking about profiling earlier, where you look at specific individuals throughout history and look at their family lineage and how they rose to power, and you can start making assessments as to who might be an AGT. Okay. Um, what asked you about um, Project Blue Book? I heard you mention that. So, to my interpretation of what's going on is, is that the extraterrestrials are performing a concept called submission, or stands for subliminal dissemination. Okay. And what that is is they're basically trying to tell us what's going on, not completely, you know, partially, so that we're all comfortable with the concept of talking about it. Uh-huh. But they don't want us to know that they're telling us. So, the people who are running the government would be choreographing all these UFO sites. It wouldn't be just a coincidence that all this starts happening after World War II in the 1940s with Roswell, and they get everybody to start talking about it. And then, so for example, Project Blue Book, where they put together this catalog of all these attempts to try to discern what's going on and, you know, record and investigate the sightings and all this other stuff, it further brings the public interest in and gives them the impression that the airport is trying to solve the problem. And so everyone thinks that everything's being dealt with appropriately, but what the people don't really understand is that DT, not only do they have this hidden plan, this extraterrestrial architecture that they're fulfilling or putting into um, fruition every day, they're also leaving clues on the planet that they've been here the whole time. It's because once they, in the future, when they disclose that, you know, ET exists and they've been here, nobody's going to want to believe them because they're just going to go, well, how come it couldn't have been that easy? How come, we, you know, your secret didn't get revealed? How come we couldn't figure it out? And so they're going to need to show everyone we've been here the whole time. And the way that they do it is they leave these bizarre clues that the normal person wouldn't catch up on. So back in the 80s, when I started getting into this, I started coming to this conclusion some of the pilots in the military were not earthing and they were um, AGT. I also knew, because I have a really high-level understanding of aviation, that the vehicle wouldn't be flying, as we generally understand, um, because they would come from outer space. You can't fly in outer space because wings don't generate lift up there. Okay. So I started, I started doing things like looking at the word fly, F-L-Y, and breaking it down, and it, you can break it down to forward levitation using energy. The F is forward, the L is levitation, and the letter Y is the last letter on the word energy, which isn't a typical way that Earth would use acronyms, so it wouldn't be something they would normally pick up on. Yes. Well, if you take the title of the book, Project Blue Book, the word blue says backwards levitation using energy. So the aliens put right on the title of the book a term that the vehicle uses when it's maneuvering, but they did it in extraterrestrial context and an earthling wouldn't understand how to um, decipher yes. or decode. So these were some of the clues I was studying 
looking back, you know, in the eighties, I went through the football creating like a like pulling thing out, profiling like a pattern that keeps repeating, like a TV clues and stuff like that. So that's where I started to realize that Project Blue Book isn't just uh, an effort by the Air Force to try to help us understand what's going on. It's really a what I call a subnation where they're deceiving us into getting us to be more aware of it, but not actually telling us the true nature of it. And by doing this over the seven decades that this has been going on for, what it's doing is it's making it so that society almost thinks the term UFO is almost like a joke. So nobody cares about it anymore. It's not like it's um, top secret and all this other stuff. It's like, come on, we all know something's going on. And so that's the way that they've gotten the public to be complacent. That everyone will just sit there and say, yeah, we knew ET and UFO existed. We, you know, we felt that way for years. So you can see that ET is working behind the scenes. Okay. Great explanation. Uh, Coley, let me have your, your first uh, experience. My first experience was um, with a craft that I was doing a paranormal investigation right. in the old cemetery. Um, this, is, this is what locked, what I call locked in or submit, you know, being submitted in. Is like, I was there and this I saw this jet stream, and I was with my neighbor, and I looked up, and I said, that's really weird. It's, like, gl- glowing with this LED light, and we watched it, and it kept coming closer and closer and closer, and I was like, that's it, something not right about this, like, you know, this thing that's coming towards us. Yeah. I got pictures of it, but I ended up dropping my camera on the ground, and I said to her, my neighbor, I said, call my brother, call my brother, because we just started getting into the and so I called him and I was like, Eric, what would you do? And he's like, I'd stay there. So my neighbor is like literally screaming and this thing is slowly, slowly, slowly coming towards me. And I was up on this little hill and when like Mufon came out and they measured it, they said that it came one mile and I stood 30 feet from it and it was 50 feet in diameter. Now, I don't know wow. how long I was like standing there, like I have no, I, I couldn't, I just like I couldn't move. Right. And then she was, she finally like screaming or whatever, so I broke, like I broke whatever lock I had with it. And then I looked at her, but then it shot over by these other trees. There was like literally these trees that were just blocking it that I stood, you know, at eye level at. So that, that thing and I were like, you know, face to face, 30 feet apart. You can't, I can't never deny that. And now there's a witness. You know, it's like, as many times to this journey, I just want to say, okay, come on. And then I go back to the starting point. Like, you know, how can you deny that two people saw us on the craft? You know, but that's what it took to stop me in my tracks. You know, I think every everybody's different. You know, like what it took Richard to, and what it took me to, like, in, in my journey through this, like, is, it might be different, but we came, and, like, I started to, with all of it, you know, after that, I even asked the Mufon investigator, I said, will I see another one of these? And he said, I think so. And I was like, for some reason, I, I always remember that. And then about four months later is when I had my second major sighting. And then that is when the... That's, that's when I had contact, like, and I, 
I can't explain that contact. I, I spent a long time trying to figure out the clues of what they want, you know, and, and what I, the information that I would leave with and what I was told and just the different interactions. Um, what I'll say in this is I grew up as, like, being able to see spirits. Like, that was my normal world. And that was not always accepted, you know, going back. But that's my reality. Like, that, you can ask my family. That has been my reality since, you know, young. But the difference, there is such a difference between, you know, your abduction experience and the paranormal, where you see in the here and now. Um, my first experience, like, with them, I remember I was sitting, it was shortly after the second encounter, and I was sitting there, and I was watching the microwave and the stove going back and forth, and I was up late, I, it was one of those times I couldn't, you know, I was having a hard time sleeping, and right. I was, you know, like in the process, so I was literally watching it, and I was like, it did it about five or six times, and then bam, it was 3.40, there's 40, my, my clock just switched all of them from 3 to 3.40 and they blinked back and forth and I was like that's really weird so I checked my cell phone and turned up it was 3.40 wow so I was like okay so then I kind of went back into whatever and what I saw and how I saw it, it it's very hard to explain because I saw myself down yeah. on this glowing table and, and the beings I can describe their skin like I, I don't know if you remember that old glow in the dark like when you would stick it out how it would kind of glow like you paint that I don't know it, that's just like the correlation I kind of make to it like their skin was reflective right it was almost like uh, like reflective of the light so they kind of glowed I mean you would call them your typical whatever short grade um i remember that they had finger suction cups okay the the odd part of it is when i saw myself i was above myself like i could see all of this happening and i could see them looking but when i saw them yeah it was me who was restrained on the table so it's like almost like here's a game here like we're going to allow you to see yourself from a different perspective but when you see us you were that human and that's what I believe they said it it was because of contamination that's why we're restrained so I don't I don't know like and that's when they told me that I was here for communication well how you know these are some pretty general things here going on so I thought you know what if I figure out why because there were too many weird things that were I mean I could go on and on all day long these weird things that were happening but they were keeping me trapped in like this chasing I, I literally have video of me chasing them down the street in a car going through down the road. You know, it was like, now this is a game. So the whole time, and then I, I started to really do the research, and I started to see all the patterns. And Richard, had, he used to come, like, he found me on my YouTube channel and started talking to me going back, like, uh, say, a couple of years ago. And, and so he'd mention it, and we kind of correct the terminology. Well, I wasn't far enough you know, into it, I'm still stuck in experiencer mode, like, what are they trying to tell me here, what's going on, you know, like, back to, you know, like, how do you take a chunk of memory 
and even try and and figure it out. You know what I found is you know when you're going to need it. Like you know when that information comes about. Because at first I thought I do my part and I get out of this and all this weird like craziness stops. And then I realized I go into groups and I'd be like, I have this abduction and you know, these are like more popular I'd be like I I am here for communication. You know, I tried every single way of figuring out what this communication meant and then I was like you know what, like, it, it, then it came away, it just, it drove me crazy, it, it really did, I was out every night, I was looking, and then when I started to work with Richard, like, it allowed, like, it broke that, what we refer to as, like, that summation, you know, it's like, there, this pull, I'm not having, like, an irrational, like, reaction to it, I mean, it, it is, like, exciting, it's probably one of the most thrilling experiences of your life, to see it, and to come in contact with it, but, you know, what is this? Why is it different than the paranormal? Like, something about it just does not seem right. But like I said, when I need that information or when that, you know, comes about, it's almost like in a synchronicity type of way. You know, it's like they plant that there, you know, for, like, the road. I believe, like, you know, the EP architecture was laid out. Like, this, I've seen how, like, MUFON has been activated and all these, you know, all of a sudden, boom, here you have it. Like, people didn't, you know, you can definitely see how the ATPs, like, are moving in here and how some of this is being manipulated. So, I started, that's when I built my wall. I think I sent you a picture of my crazy wall. But I, literally, I, I, went through everything and I researched and I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug and I started to see all these patterns and I started to see like the steganography pop out and I started to see like you know where I was like okay this is too much to be coincidental and then I was like why is nobody and then out of everything nobody is talking about ET we're talking about well, they're talking about UFOs, UAPs, and that's what we were to produce as ET vehicles because they're not, you know, I, I can let my metallic balloons go off in the air and there go UFOs, you know, or, or throw my bicycle. You know, it's just like, we're not, why is it that we're not focusing on ET here or who is flying the, the UFOs? No, don't talk about it whatsoever. Nobody's going near it. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like, that, that does not make up a lot of sense to me. I think, you know, they're, they're not all bad. And, and before I wanted to touch on when you said hybrids, um, a lot of people with abduction experiences, they have other memories of being other places. And I, I, I share that. And their terminology for hybrid is not because they were born here on Earth as, you know, like an earthling, they might have that either not HET. That's separate. HET is the humanoid extraterrestrial. So, and Richard can, you know, like, explain that concept a little more. But I, I started to see this, and I'm like, you know what? We're missing, they're having a dance around again in one of these cycles, and they're still avoiding ET. Well, I think ET is most definitely, I mean, we go back, they created this. 
we are creative. Like, if you really want to know the answers, you have to. I mean, and they took me a long time to get this, you know. And, and now it's just like I read through it. That, you know, I had aviation experience, and a lot of it is breaking it down. You know, it's like I said, well, you know, it's just flying a plane. Like, you're, it's like, you don't call, let's say, Chicago, you know, O'Hare International Airport, you call it ORD, or you, have, you fly by a VOR, or you do. So the terminology that you figured out, it makes sense on how you do it, like the coding of it. But it's giving the correct terminology on what we should be looking for. So they have us looking all, every which direction, but right here down on the ground. And I'm telling you, when you start to put this, I started, and it took my wall, and then Richard's like, you know, where he's at, and like, he's already figured this out, you know, he's, he's at, like, he's been through this. It, this is the same, when you look back, you can see how the cycle pushes itself. And it's just been, like, so eye-opening. And like I said, you know, you look through and you see, like, the steganography that's right in front of you and, and how the government and how, you know, how, you got to think, everything that they do, there's a motive behind it and figuring out, you know, it, it's just, you have to... You have to think they were here first. That's going to be the hardest thing for people to accept. Come on, they were here before us, and they live among us, and that's what we need to be focusing on. ET and the ATT here and what the game is. If you can see that from that perspective, it's a whole lot easier to figure out, you know, what's what you know it's like instead of getting caught up in all of this stuff that is the chaos you have to kind of rise above it and see okay and look at them as a group because it is a group movement and so that's where like the profiling comes in it's almost like you're profiling a like in a sense an analogy like a criminal organization I'm not saying that's what that is, but that would be the way that you would group them or, you know, call out and you can't look at them as individuals because that's not how it works. So, you know, it's a lot of information, but it starts to really make sense. The more you hear it, the more you understand it, the more, you know, but if you want to, if you want to figure this out, you know, we really, like, in the stuff that I've seen, I'm 100% convinced that we're going in the right direction with this. So, Chris, I mean, Richard, is it, is it possible that um that there can be both ETs and hybrids here on, on, the, on the Earth, too? Well, I think what it really comes down to is that, um, one, how you define the terminology, but mm-hmm. it, there could, there could easily be ETs on the planet but right. they don't look extremely different from human right. then obviously they would stand out and they would need to reside like on Area 51 where no one's seen them every day mm. if other ET beings look very close to human-like and if you want to call it a hybrid right. and they have very subtle differences that you couldn't notice unless you paid a lot of attention to detail 
then you'd, um, yeah, then they theoretically could be walking among us just as easily, too. Okay. So I, I wouldn't leave anything out. I would say everything's possible in being down here. It's just when you're in a human form, mm-hmm. that would be the easiest for them to conceal themselves because no one would suspect that. You were talking about um, TAC-1. Is that, is that a, is that a uh, termination for a speed when you're talking about some of the... Um, the, the yeah, so where I derived that from was I was trying to uh, comprehend, you know, you can't call them UFOs and UAP because it's unidentified. When you finally realize what they are, uh-huh. you're going to realize those terms aren't what they are. So one of the things that was critical was figuring out, well, we have to be able to go faster than the speed of light. Right. Because otherwise, all these other questions come to play. So... So one of the words, you know, I started learning how this language works and breaking the words apart and putting them back together. If you take the word tachyon, which is a hypothetical particle that travels faster than the speed of light, and you break it apart, and so you have tach, you know, like a tachometer in a car or tachycardia where you have fast heartbeat or um, anything that uses the, the word tach, and then you take the y-o-n, the y-o-n comes out of the word beyond. Oh, okay. So I could see that so I could see that the word tachyon, which says a hypothetical particle going faster than the speed of light, when you break the word apart, it says tach beyond. So I knew that beyond, it was saying to go beyond the speed of light. So that told me that tach was the speed of light. And then what I did is I took my understanding of aviation, and I knew that in um, jets, when you break the speed of sound, it's called Mach. And Mach 1 is one time the speed of sound. So, like, you know, when you're in a Cessna, they're just telling you how many knots are cruising that. But if you get into, like, a commercial airliner, when you're flying at, like, 500 knots, it'll change and it'll start saying, I'm flying at 0.8 Mach. Right. So they rate everything based on their Mach number. And then when you get into jet fighters, they'll start accelerating over Mach 1 and go Mach 1 and Mach 2. Well, so then I started realizing what they must be doing is they must um, use TAC you're basically measuring your speed so then it would travel in tack numbers like tack one tack two tack three in terms of how many multiples of the speed of light they're renewing at for most people because we go up on earth and they sit there and tell you you can't go faster than the speed of light uh-huh. as soon as they say that they just go that's impossible and to me that's part of the reason why people can't figure out what's going on is they allow the um have you ever seen those things they call them a boot that the police they put it on your car when uh, you've done something illegal and they want to keep so you can't drive your car away and they lock this thing on the tire? Right. Um, and so it's kind of like Einstein put a boot on all the earthlings' minds when he told them you can't go faster than the speed of light. And so everybody automatically said that's the speed limit. End of story. Well, we just hypothesized that it's possible to go faster than the speed of light. You can quickly start explaining a lot of the phenomena that are taking place because that instantly allows them to travel from one star system to another and back very rapidly. And it defeats all the other arguments that say that it would take, you know, too many years and die and stuff like that. So, TAC 1 was the term, you know, basically like Mach 1 of the speed of sound, TAC 1 of the speed of light. Okay. How many accounts are we getting of um, a lot of our pilots, especially in the uh, in the Air Force, encountering things up there in the air, in the skies? I know you you've talked about uh, you know maybe some of the lesser ranked 
pilots, especially the higher ranked ones, being intimidated as far as coming forward with what they're seeing, being threatened, you know, with the career and all that. Uh, is this real prevalent going on? Well, to me, just again, when I when I went back to the beginning, I think that it didn't start in 1947 that ET exists or been operating vehicles on the planet the whole time. We just don't know it. And as they started to appear in, after 1947, interacting with the military, everyone was under the impression that the military was a bunch of Earthlings were trying to solve the phenomenon. So what I did was I just said. If these guys are able to travel and walk among us and live among us in humanoid form, they could be all the top people in the government and the military. In fact, you could go back to 1776 and say that our founding fathers were ATT, and they were the ones who created the government and created the Navy and the Army at the time. Okay. So I started coming to the conclusion that a lot of the higher-ranking pilots weren't all earthing a lot of them would have been the ATT and that's how they would be controlling the narrative with the military more specifically the Air Force and the Navy Air so I'm putting out so you might have some kids who are trying to join the military and become pilots and then get into their first couple of years as they get become especially fighter pilots not so much cargo pilots or helicopter pilots or attack pilots but the ones that are flying with fighters because those are the ones that their minds are going to naturally be trying to think about what mm-hmm. is a UFO because they might potentially run into one and have to actually deal with it okay. so if we get further up in their careers they're basically going to be pulled aside and told hey don't talk about this and that's where you're going to get to me because nobody will challenge a military fighter pilot they just automatically presume these are the most elite people in our society everything they do is right they wouldn't possibly you know make up a story or follow another narrative when nobody's taking into consideration is that our whole military can be compromised by ET and so what we're hearing the pilots say they could just be being told to say that and you know no one's going to challenge them you know I'm not trying to turn this into a uh, confront the military thing. I'm just trying to tell people to keep your mind open to the possibility that we may not be getting accurate information from the pilots when they're reporting all this stuff. Yeah, because I know even with uh, when it comes to cryptids, like uh, I, I see a lot of accounts where uh, our, our military encounters what they believe to be big, Bigfoot, whatever, but they're told uh, to keep those uh, those stories quiet. So it just seems like there's a lot of things that's hush-hush right now. Well, definitely, you know, you talk about the stigma of the term UFO, and now how the Navy is saying, hey, we want you to switch to the term UAP to remove the stigma and try and get people to talk about it more and bring it out in the open. But to me, it's kind of just all following a basic um, chronology or like a timeline where up until 1947, Nobody even really paid any attention to this stuff. It was so few and far between. We try and go back in history and, you know, read stuff. And then in 1947, because of UFO sightings, it started to blossom, and that allowed a lot of the other um, avenues to expand not only just UFOs, but the whole ET phenomenon of what might be ET being like. And what it's basically just been doing is, even though they kind of kept a lid on it and made you feel like, are you crazy if you talk about it and pilots didn't want to report it because of the career ruin and stuff like that. 
and now they're finally starting to let them talk about it a little bit more and it's not seen as a career ruiner. In the end, to me, all they're really doing is trying to get a society where everybody can talk about it every day, you know, the normal lunch or dinner conversation or anywhere out in public, you can just bring it up with somebody and you won't be seen as crazy and stuff like that because what they're doing is they're preparing Earth for disclosure by having everybody be calm and think that it's almost funny. Like, the whole public knows what's going on, the government just won't admit it. That type of uh, attitude is the type of attitude they need so that you don't have a bunch of people panicking right. when they when they tell us. Coley, uh, how how far have you ever flown? Have you ever seen anything when you were up in the air? I have never um, personally witnessed anything up in the air, but the time of aviation, I, I really was not. Um, Prior to one coming up to me, I, my grandmother saw a UFO, and I really, honestly, it, it wouldn't be something that I would have even been looking for. You know, you're so focused, I guess, in the plane, but, yeah. you know, you didn't, I didn't, I've never thought to look outside. And, you know, a lot of times when I've seen them, they're not necessarily the size you think that they are. Like, I've seen balls, like, they look like balls of energy, and I've seen them very close, to I've seen a lot of them, and they're, it's interesting, because they, they are, it's always like they are what they are, they're just like a ball of electricity, and the, the way that they move, and I, it's, it defies everything, you know, or, or scientific, like, scientific knowledge, and all you know, these people, like, you talk about Einstein, like, putting a boot on it, that's literally what we have done. We, we have restricted and constructed this just around, you know, our world. That, that, that's as far as we go. You have to, if I said, you know, the one thing we did say is, I mean, insanity, if we do the same thing over and over again and we expect different results, I mean, that truly is the definition of insanity. So, in thinking outside the box, and that's what they're trying to stop. You have to think of and look back, like all these restrictions and all these things. Everything is like a barrier. To, and but when you start to follow that, you, I mean, it, it really does. It really does start to make a lot of sense. It really does. But I've never up in the air. I've never encountered anything. But like I said, prior to one, and that's what it took for me. Like so ever since then, it had a lock on me. You know what I mean? I it, I became very passionate about this. And before I, you know, I knew nothing. I, I knew that you know, just basic what your general public would know. And I went like, I mean, I dove into this so deep because I was like, there has to be an answer. There has, and a lot of experiencers have that, like, you know, where it is, and they have, you know, you have to realize, like, you may, you don't have to figure out that experience. Like I'm telling you, it will come when the time is right. But you just have to open up, like, your mind and say, hey, well, this is possible. And why is it that every, you know, UFO encounter, they're not talking about who is operating that vehicle. You know, there's no mention of ET or, hey, this could be from a certain area, or these types of craft could be from a certain area. I mean, Lufan's been recording them and investigating them, so they have all, you know, which 
when something on, like, you know, you can look at it, but everything that in all the research I've done, nothing says ET. Nothing. Like, none of it says ET. So that tells me we need, you know, we need to be looking for ET here, because Bigelow said he's right under our nose, and I really believe that. But it's, I, I truly do, like, if you start observing the sky, and you go, I had, like, it's literally like I had a whole regiment of what I did nightly around the same time. You kind of get to know them. They kind of get to know you. And it's, it's really like a game, a control game. But I can say like in the encounters that um, I have seen the, the short grays and the tall grays, like that experience was totally different. Like where I was able to like move around and I saw a young child there who it was not like you know he definitely was not human he looked he looked a lot like that he looked like he was dressed out of like the Daisy Penny's catalog and it looked like he was just patiently waiting like he knew and when the time was right they go but they were kind of I've seen kind of how the simulation of how they tried to stimulate like our reality like there is but it's just not our reality you know they can't actually go to the movies it's more like a, a simulation of it so I was you know and I, I don't know exactly what that means but you know it's like I, I will figure it out along the way and the way I figured it out and the way that it started to click because then okay all of a sudden that might not that memory might really not have anything to do with what it was but then, you know, it will stop me in my tracks. Like, you know, something will come about and I'll be like, boom, that's what that means. Or, oh, that's what that means. You know, I just have to trust that path. So it's a, it's a lot of information. It really right. is. And when you start to go into that direction, like, you know, of the experiences and, and what they were doing or why or the motive for them, like, I, I want to figure... And, you know, Richard, we want to figure all that out. And it's like, we're started. This is really like, you know, his 30 years of research and what we came together now. And, you know, we're really trying to crack this code and figure all this stuff out. And it, it does start making sense. He can kind of scroll through things. And now I can read, you know, who is who, what's what. And then I'll text, you know, Richard, or we kind of stay back and forth and trying to figure this out. So, you know, it's, it's, you go back to how they learned about serial killers. They went in and they interviewed the serial killers. They started to see different patterns. So obviously we don't know yet and we can't identify yet, but we're really on a good path because it's seeing it as a group and that group movement and then you can start identifying the players. So it, 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 like I said, you know, we could go the same route that we were going the insane, like, insanity route, or we can try something different that seems to be providing more answers because it's thinking outside the cap that they gave us. Now, you were born with the ability to uh, communicate and see uh, spirits, am I correct? Mm-hmm, yes, yes. So it, it evolved over time, like, it, 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 it runs in my family. Like, I, it was my great-great-aunt, and, yeah, it, it's, I've always been able to. I've always been different. And there was a time where seeing spirits was, I mean, it was not socially accepted. Like, it, 
they really, you know, the Exorcist movie came out, and, you know, there was, like, evil, this is evil, like, you know, they went through that in the churches, and so it was difficult. I kept doing a lot of it to myself, and the older I got, it kind of became more intrusive, but then I, I got control of it, and I learned how to do it, and it's the shift I can make in the here and now, like, I do my, I guess, you know, what I did is um, I'd go with ghost hunting groups and they would have, or paranormal investigators, they'd go with the pastors or, you know, things like that, and they'd have the media, which would be me, I'd walk through the whole house and I'd tell them, boom, boom, this is go, this is what I see, this is what's playing out, and then they'd take their equipment, and then sometimes I'd do EVP sessions with them and, and stuff like that, but, you know, that was... That was my, I have no fear. I've stayed in some of the most haunted places. The Edinburgh, or Edinburgh Manor, I slept there like three nights. And I, I love, I love stuff like that. I have no fear of the paranormal. But it, what doesn't make sense to me is that ET is a whole different experience because when I shifted back that first time, when I shifted back, I was in a, a void. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. And I was really convinced, like, I could get back there. Like, if I got through, then I can get back there. Maybe this is, you know, somehow paranormal or meeting on some sort of, you know, interdimensional level. I don't know. I, I don't know if you're even on a ship. I don't know if, where I was. I, I have no clue. Like, I just have chunks of that you know the puzzle like people have different associations what I'm saying here is that there's something about it that doesn't make it. like why is it 40 minutes of time is missing you know and, and what is this void of time that it took me to like get back into the you know I guess you'd say earth like the, you know our dimension our reality so it, it was different it, I did have a near-death experience at the age of eight, so I fall right into the profile of it. Like, it, it, that's what they say that it mimics, is a near-death experience. And if you've had one before, there's a time, like, I, I remember I was um, driving back with my grandmother, I was very young, uh, seven or eight, I believe, I believe I was seven or eight. But the car, the man died while driving the car, and it's this icy road, and it was only at this two-lane highway between where I lived Dubuque and Chicago, Illinois. Okay. And we came back, and we flew, I mean, we should have been dead. We really should have. But there was this, I didn't scream. I didn't panic. I didn't, there was this, like, almost like time was, like, moving, but yet it was well, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. a, it seems that at that moment you kind of get, and it, it mimics like where you kind of um, like relinquish complete control. It's uncomfortable to do that. It's like uncomfortable as a human to do that. So that's how that experience, I, I think, you know, connects. Like there's there's certain things with certain ways, and, I, and I'm not sure like why. I'd like to figure that out through, you know, maybe figuring out why, why, what is this, you know, is this ET or is this our, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh -huh. we don't understand the technology yet. They're, they're really trying to introduce the technology. So we have to figure out, you know, these pieces of the puzzle to see 
the movement and the scene as a whole. It's not so much as my experience, somebody else's experience. I don't think you're going to find the answers there. There's too many. There's it's not an easy. I've done. I've, I mean, really, hundreds and hundreds of experiences. Like I put myself in every single group I could, trying to figure out why would they pursue? Why me? Why you know what's going on here? Because I really did have benefits from it. Like I had neck surgery, and I had. Um, I had to learn on my right side how to write again. I couldn't move my hand. I had so many complications with it. And when, you can even ask me if I'm an investigator, like I was at a, like I was in so much physical pain, like with like nerve pain, my hand was like twice, my right hand was twice the size like it was. And after that first encounter, I had like 85% better. Then after like the second one, then it was like I had I had feeling restored in my thumb. And the medical doctor says, you're cut. this is like you're past the two year marker of healing. You're not gonna go any further. So, you know, and then by the third one, I'm telling you, I am so strong. I go out and I skate, like, when I mean I skate, I competitively do it. With my neck, like, I, like, am so strong and so balanced that it's, like, I'm better than I was before, if that makes any sense. Mm. And so it, it, there has been a give and take. So there has been, you know, a something I can't deny, you know what I'm saying? Like, it comes back to those moments. Like, I wanted to say, okay, this is craziness. Well, I can, I saw, you know, I stood 30 feet away from one that was 50 feet in diameter. You know, I've seen this, I, um, in one of the drawings I have, and I can show these pictures, six months prior, where I saw all these, like, light balls, I drew a pattern of the star. And on my second experience, or my second tour, or abduction, if you want to say, um, I had that marking was on my leg. Like, I can show you my picture, I can show you, because I kept notebooks of all this in the beginning. Mm. And then it ended up on my leg. So it's like, okay, well, how can I, you know, as much as you want to deny that, how this picture was drawn, and it looks like, and the way that, I mean, it matches up perfect. So, you know, things like that, it's like, okay, I, I can't deny that. But I can say that there the experiences with them that I, I think it's a lot of... Um, them, like, you know, that civil moral discrimination, like, in submating us, like, that in order to get a more, um, like, a broader perspective on it or, or more non-biased, because if you have an, as an experiencer, you're so emotionally connected, so it's going to be very hard for you to break away from that, because, and it, it was for me, too. But, like I said, through understanding, you know, it's like there's a level of manipulation in society. Society puts us in these groups, in these categories. In our family, there's expectations. You know, there's manipulation along the way. And I just think that when you pull that out and you look at lineage, like your history or whatever, and you start to figure that out, maybe you can look more objectively at this. Like, well, why aren't they talking about ET? We're not the only ones that did visited by E.T. at night. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just part of 
the storyline, you know, so we don't have to expose who they really are. Like, okay, well, a couple hundred thousand people, like, bam, I mean, who knows if it wasn't even all random, drawn, or picked, nobody knows. But that's not, for me, and seeing spirit, and seeing E.T., E.T. you can touch, and you're not of conscious mind. In the paranormal realm, it's, you're very much conscious of, I can make this shift right here and right now, and, look and, and, and that's just what I do. But, you know, I have a huge problem with the E.T. one, because it, it's like, okay, well, why is it that you're missing time, and you're asleep, and all this, you know, and, and that I... I I question that, I really do. And I think if you want to get to that bottom of this, look past that. Because that right there could just be another way of keeping us away from the truth, if that makes sense. You know, because you can't deny thousands of people, like, you know, are having the same type of experience, but you have to question the motive. Like, is this so we don't expose who they really are? Is this so we don't find them, you know, in our government, so we can't identify them down there? Like, is this to pacify us? Or is this, you know, some of our lineage, like, coming back? You, you know, you don't have, like, a whole conversation. You get these bags, you know, like, this is blah, blah, blah. You might get specific downloads, that people say, like, all of a sudden, like, for a couple of days, you just log down with all of this information, and it's like you try and write it down, you know what I'm saying? But this way, it's much less complicated, because they, it's like the data dump, you know, it's like when the CIA is telling you know, it's a blue book, dump it, dump the data, so you have to sort through it, and not many people are going to do that. But if you do, I'm telling you, you see the steganography, and then when you start to break down the wording, you start to understand, hey, look what's happening here. Like, look at what's really happening here, like, and how we are being manipulated. And then you have, like, the CEA, which are the complicit earthlings, and they're the ones they can't talk. They've, you know, they've agreed not to talk for whatever, but they have, like, a little mission view, like Richard was saying, like, normalize this, like, oh, you know, ET is blah, blah, well, you know, you have it kind of going one or two ways, you got Independence Day coming in, and you're getting people in, and then, you know, you have, like, I've seen how cartoons, like, son watches one and I was watching it and I was like oh wow you know but it, it does really make a mockery of it it really does and this right here is a beginning to making this more serious and to actually you know give people correct terminology correct names for what they're seeing you know what I'm saying Let, let's start you know give it a chance it is so hard to say in the beginning but once you start to you start to change because it raises your IAL which is your intellectual awareness level so you you want to go from being a UEA which is an uninformed earthling to an IEA which is an informed earthling you know it's like where you can walk around and consciously see you know what I mean they, they paved this road they paved it you know so let's take a step back and you know maybe re-examine this whole thing 
Now, Richard, you have an online group uh, uh, that that uh, gets into um, ET and UFO uh, disclosures and terminology and everything like that. Can you? Well, so what I do is um, I'm on Twitter every day, basically. Right. Uh, ET UFO disclosure, and then I also have a Facebook group um, where. What is your information on Facebook? Pardon? What is your uh, handle on Facebook? Uh, the group name is H-E-T-L-A-U for, you know, which is Hatlauer, stands for um, Human or E-T Little Among Us. Right. So the actual um, URL, if you just go to facebook.com forward slash groups and then forward slash Hatlauer, I think you even put in... Um, Disclosure probably comes up too. Okay. I'll put a link on your uh, Twitter page. Okay, uh, I know I've heard something about you know some uh, the Egyptians and things like that. They had all uh, uh, pictures uh, like they have seen UFOs back in those times, way back in biblical days, 
What are your thoughts? Well, that's, that's basically what I'm saying is that this ET existed before Earth existed. Right. And they planned this thing out as part of the ETA, the extraterrestrial architecture. And so... When these people are showing these drawings from thousands of years ago, it's they're you know these, it's taking part in their society as well as it is in all the other societies all throughout history. It didn't just start in 1947. Right. What I also try and do is um, break it down even further, where everybody wants to try to figure out why did they build the pyramid and the trick, or not? Why did they build them? How did they build them? You know, it's a feat of engineering. We don't seem to be able to recreate in modern day um, technology well the trick is in in how they built them it's why they built them and if you study um, California during the gold rush era in the 1800s there was this thing where common law for property if you discovered a gold mine and you wanted to prove that it was yours what you would do is you would build a little pyramid like a three foot tall pyramid right at the entrance to the gold mine uh-huh. And then you would go into, t- into town and you would register the gold mine as yours and anybody that stumbled along it would know that because there's a pyramid in front of it, someone has claimed this mine as theirs. So using those same concepts that were seen take place on Earth, if you go back in history, if you look at the pyramids, you know how they're all aligned to star systems? Uh-huh. So what... E- what ET is doing is they're showing their rights to Earth. They're claiming Earth is a, a resource that they're mining, but the trick is, is that they're not mining gold or oil or, um, I mean, they may be doing that, but that's not what's important to them. What's important to them are the humans because they use this as their slave to do the work on the planet that they want done. In other words, as we talked about earlier about profiling HETs, the HET are going to occur in famous, powerful, wealthy, celebrity, you know, government, top officers running the thing. They're not going to be poor, starving, homeless people. Um, so you can just see that the way that they um, develop the things that they're doing on the planet, they're going to be like the masters and the earthlings are like the slaves. Most people have this picture in their mind oh, it has to be like a guy in the 1800s you know how before they would treat the slaves back then it could just be intellectual slavery in the sense that you know we're doing the work that's tougher and they're just doing the work that allows them you know how well they're distributed in such a small group of society that's the areas where you would find the HET whereas the rest of the people in society are basically a form of intellectual slave. So you can just see the clue. At first, you know, like everything, it's a lot to get your mind around. But as you start paying attention to it and, you know, listening every day and studying and stuff like that, you can see more and more examples and then see how it all fits together. That sounds good. Um, so this is your, this is like your life's work, right? Something you're dedicated to for... You, you well, I'm definitely dedicated a lot of time to I wouldn't call this my life's working sense. Like, when I got into it, I didn't see myself as the ufologist who um, it's my responsibility to go out and solve it and tell the world what's going on and stuff like that. What I did is I came up with this term, balut, describing the vehicle. So then I called it balutology, the study of extraterrestrial vehicles. And a balutologist would be the person who studies this stuff. But I started to try to 
differentiate myself from the ufology community because I don't believe in vehicles are flying. So I think part of the reason why no one can ever figure out what's going on is they're using the wrong terminology. UFO would be the primary example because if they're not flying, at no point in time have they ever been UFOs. And so then what really got me into this thing was that I was convinced that just like me back in the mid-1980s, I wanted somebody to explain to me what's going on. And I couldn't find anybody that could give me the answer that I felt was correct. So after I spent a couple decades researching it and confirming that what I was seeing, even though I can't prove it, I could easily explain it. So then I figured what I'm really more trying to do is just try to find people who want to know what's going on. They realize the government and the military aren't going to tell us. They don't feel like the ufology community is solving the answer. So I'm trying to provide information for them to see what's actually going on prior to disclosure. So it's not so much a, um, a career path type thing or it's, you know, I'm not trying to make any money off it. I'm not right. going to UFO festivals and stuff like that. I just sit here and talk to people every day when I have time, you know, on Twitter or on Facebook or, you know, do like these um, things on Spreaker and stuff like that. And to me, it's just kind of, it's almost like a hobby. I just enjoy doing it. <laughs> I find it interesting hearing everybody's stories and trying to see if they understand what I'm saying. Right. Cody, you was telling me a, a, a very interesting story about um, some missing some missing people, and you you were kind of tapping in on that, but the, the case went cold. Yeah, it was, there was uh, not hard on here, and it was very like the pull on it. Like I have the feeling, I guess I know when somebody crosses or when they, you know, how you can kind of tune into it, but you know it. The girls, um, they went missing, it was never solved. Um, there were a few other attempts, like, around the area, and then it went cold. So, it's, it's like, then you have to think, like, I, you know, I always go back to, like, profiling, like, a serial killer, like, being, like, you know, what about these two girls? Are there any other people? There happened to be one um, within the vicinity, and I, like, the connections among them started, you know, to make some connections here, but then, again, like, they went cold. And I said, you know, people have to realize, like, when a, a major stressor happens in somebody's life like that, uh-huh. you know, that might be, like, you know, as a serial killer, they can, they can go how many years without killing it. So it's like a, this build-up, this build-up, this build-up. And then if they have, like, like I said, like a major stressor, if something happens, or, like, you can profile their background, and, and you can kind of, you know, see, but it... The oddities about somebody that would be an antisocial personality disordered person, um, how they are like awkward in society, the things that they do are, you know, and you just think about sometimes when you hear about like the satanic rituals or things like that with the people, like, you just have to wonder because it was, like these kids killed animals. Like they started, you know, we're talking about people that will grow someday and could possibly like hold that gene right. in them. And so seeing it and seeing some of those characteristics, I guess, you know, you can kind of apply it because it, 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 I don't it just I don't know how it ties in but when you said that I said I have such a fascination with it and anytime like a case comes up close to here like mm-hmm. I try and you know see it like become in tune to it and see like kind of you know I, I like to solve mysteries I definitely do 
and then uh, you say Bundy was uh, one that really caught your attention? Oh, yeah, yeah. I studied him in grad school. I, oh, he was, and he has CIA ties, like the Bundy is well, but I don't know if she's ever gotten into that part of it, but how, and you can look at him, and literally, you need serial killers if you can figure them out. All you need is their history. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, their signature marks, like, these when you understand and like I said like I understand both sides of it because in the in the clinical setting I had kids with extreme like um, extreme trauma like the trauma and that's what you know I specialized in I guess I went from you know, like what I wanted I really my goal was becoming a criminal profile and getting my PhD but you know as children seeing them grow up and knowing like you know Daniel who I was trained under he said like a handful of these kids are going to be a drop in the bucket like they will be and when you hear it it's so eerie to right. think you know the right. possibility but it's just you know if they're triggered I guess they're not but you know, that social awkwardness and some of the things that you see in those children, the way that they watch us, yeah. very calculated, very whatever. I kind of connect that to like an HGT and how, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to be awkward in society. They're going to be, in a, a, you know, and some of the things that you see, like it's almost like they're programmed, you know, there's a are very awkward where did they come from like why aren't we researching like where all of these you know it's like we just accept that you know we're just accepting the government officials like we do we really know their history like are they like you know it, it, it's just really expanding your mind but I guess that kind of I take that and then I, I, I apply that like in an HET type of situation because I think that there's a lot not that they're you know killing animals or anything like that but there's that socially if you're not human there's that social awkwardness right. and these kids and like you know I, I guess I just see a, like a strong connection between it yeah I was a, a big Ramirez guy that was my that was, that was my Oh yeah! Oh favorite. gosh! I yeah, if you want to say favorite, uh, the lack of a better word, but that's the guy who really kind of creeped me out was Ramirez. Oh yeah, there's there some. I mean, uh, phenomenal when you start uh, close to your animals uh, prison. Um, John Wayne Gacy, he was arrested on a different charge, but they still have, he built a mini golf course in the prison grounds, and they still have it there. Wow. <laughs> they, they, yeah, yeah, that's like, I think like 40 minutes away. It's just, they leave their mark, no doubt about that. So would you be open if, like, let's say if the authorities ever reached out to you to try to help out, uh, would you ever uh, uh, take up that? Yeah, I would. Oh, that, that's yeah, cool. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, if I could help in any way. And the sooner that they come in contact, like, or the sooner, you know what I mean, I, I definitely going through and walking through, I can, yeah, absolutely, that's cool. That would be right up my alley, and I'd be more than happy, more than happy to do something like that. What is it about cemeteries? I know, I, I know, I, I did a show with a witch who said she liked to go meditate in the cemeteries, and you uh, had your experience in the cemetery. You were you were doing um, uh, see a ghost hunt or so investigation. Well, what is it about cemeteries? Well, 
Okay, um, I'll start with the church first. The Church of the Silk is like early 1800s, maybe like late 1700s, early 1800s. We found Mufan came, we found Civil War like era um, mm-hmm. site. That That's a really restless, restless time. But the deal with the church is when you went in the church, they had one of those, it was always open and then locked, but you had one of those indoor locks where you had to turn the indoor lock. So when I take people in there, I thought it was kind of amusing, the neighbors and stuff, we would go, and they were kind of, you know, my age, whatever, so I'd be like, let's go, come on, let's come out. So the one girl was screaming and screaming. I know it sounds strange, but this is how it works. I said, you can't, it's against the rules, you can't lock us in here. And as soon as you did, that door would open. And I even had my hand on it one time, and I thought, oh, maybe. So how is it locking? Because we all walk in together, we have one person outside with a radio, one person, like, so it's, nobody's can get in there because they're locked in if they are right. <laughs> we didn't find them escape that out but I had my hand on it so going down into that cemetery there was I said once we cross that line I had this just unbelievable like, vibe to go there like, so and it's out in the middle of nowhere I can send you a link to where it is it is out in the middle of nowhere and so then I, when I was there and like I said it it was I started taking pictures and I was taking pictures like all around and then I thought well if the the church is that haunted then people are you know there's some reckless people down here so that's why we went and and we had a weird experience with an animal going around because I had been out there um, since and have I seen something like that there since no but I'm going to say what bothers me about it is that first experience that I had in that cemetery, when that child lost, it broke off into eight or nine of these light bulbs mm-hmm. that I see. And I'm like, well, is this a cloaking? You know, is this like the, you know, I, I, that, that part of it is still, a, I'm, you know, a definite piece I'm trying to figure out, like, on how this, you know, whole thing operates. Like, I, like, Paranormal world is definitely I my heart like I have a special place. I get excited about it. I the more like activities the better. Like I'm just I have no fear, no fear. And like with UFOs, it's like there's been a couple times where like the UFOs, but that's going back. You know, like I, I don't. I have to recalculate on exactly, you know, what type of ET this looks for. If, like, you always have that question in your mind, is this our government? And then when they started saying that about, you know, the government, it's like, okay, well, tell me, it it leaves you in a very um, disorganized, you know, like, is this a government? Is this this? Well, this is, you know, you don't want to let go of that experience. And I think that part of it is, like, um, when you cause, like, those mixed emotions, somebody's stuck there. So I'm like, okay, well, this would make sense, like, if this is a peace plan, then let's, everybody who's stuck in those memories, you know, they can't see any further. So it's like, we got to remove those barriers. I really do. Because I don't think you're going to find the answers there. I really don't. I can tell you what they look like. I can tell you what the experience was like. I can tell you that I did have benefit. It was a give and take. 
you know, I, I wouldn't take that my medical, like, and how well, you know, I mean, I mean literally, it restored life. Yeah. So, but what it was, that I don't know. I don't know. All right, we're, we're winding down now. Well, Richard, anything you want to leave us with? Uh, anything at all? Um, well, okay. I've got a petition out there. A little over 5,000 people have signed it already. Okay. Trying to you know, bring awareness to the DT or extraterrestrialdisclosurepetition.com. Other than that, that's about it. Okay, cool. Uh, what about you, Coley? Uh, yeah, I just I want to say, like, going forward, I'm, you know, with, like, even during Richard's, like, this, I mean, God, like, if people are interested in learning this, like, if Richard's ideas and so kind, I mean, we meet on Skype and, like, explaining it, so if okay. there's other people out there that are interested, please reach out, and I'm sure he and I can come together and, you know, with him in the way that, you know, and figure a way, and that's what we're trying to do, too, is connect with the general public with the how can we help you to understand that like you know they're thinking outside the box but if you're interested in this and you're interested in seeing you know how this really makes sense and how it applies like please reach out like I want nothing more because it it really does you're back in control of you know of it it's not controlling you and I know so many people out there will tell you that it you know what I mean it takes them out every single night like it did me it'll take you out on your deck and that's what you know so it really is breaking that and so I you know if anybody is reach out to Richard or let you know and if enough people we can figure out a way I'd love to help anybody I can okay so uh, Ed send me those links and I will I will definitely post them for you guys and you know, uh, it's, it's really been good talking to you. Yeah, you too. So it's been wonderful. It's so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you as yeah, well. It's great. It's great to meet you, Roy. And I sent the links over to you on Twitter. All right. Thank you very much. So you guys have a blessed night, and thank you for for being with me on the, on this episode. Absolutely. Right. Take care, Roy. Take care now. Take care. Take yeah. care. Bye. Richard and Coley, oh man, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed uh, listening to him. And uh, if you want to learn learn more, you know, you'll be able to look into the, uh, the description uh, part of this uh, show. Uh, and I'll be posting those links. So uh, thank you, Questers, for being with us. Uh, 193 it was a good one. And uh, thank you, uh, Richard and Coley. And uh, so we're going to close out with Canadian... Indie star Michaela Hay, a youngster, but uh, she's really doing it. And this uh, this joint is called "The Devil You Know." Thank you for locking in with us on Quest One Ninety Three. I'm Roy Washington, and I'm out.
Outside of the town 